0: If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice. It's exhausting. It's expensive. At times it feels thankless. But, eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. Today we start where any good podcast about pediatrics should start, with newborns in the hospital. I remember when I was a little girl, I would go on rounds with my dad where we would Visit the nursery. That was always my favorite place to go see all the babies lined up with their pink <laughs> and blue beanies, and seeing the nurses care for them, and just the general excitement and energy, um, and such as a sacred new time of mm-hmm. life. It was it was pretty special.
1: Yeah, and for me, it was a chance to share that experience with with Emily and. And, and sometimes that was the best daddy-daughter time I was going to get that day. And so it was good just to be able to have that time together, even though it may have been kind of later at night. But um, it was really fun being able to take my daughter to see the cute babies at the hospital as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And maybe get a little chocolate milk from the hospital cafeteria. <laughs> Well, I would like to hear a little bit more about your experience when you're visiting with newborns and the parents in the hospital.
1: Sure. I think that's one of the most special and most wonderful parts of pediatrics is the chance to share in this new life that is brought into a family where, especially in the case of a first baby, is that this mother and father is welcoming this new child into their life first the first time meeting their son or daughter and we we oftentimes think about how we know our our children so well or siblings so well but it's just this really transcendental experience to think this is my child and I remember having Emily come into our lives and thinking this is our daughter but I don't even know her and Mm -hmm. we're, we're going to get there so but but seeing these babies come into the world and being part of that as a pediatrician and, and being part of those memories for these families, I think is what really first cements the relationship as a pediatrician with the family. And it's just such a, a wonderful time to be part of um, seeing these beautiful babies and their families and having so much happiness. And My, my wife, Amy, is always so jealous that I get to see all these beautiful babies every day. So. <laughs> Yeah.
0: It is super special. Would you yeah. walk us through the experience of talking to parents as they hold their new son or daughter in their arms? And what are those parents thinking about?
1: It, it varies so much, whether this is a first child compared to a fifth child. Uh, first child, parents are oftentimes so overwhelmed compared to a, a, a parent of a fifth child who has been there before, done that, has a lot of experience. But I think there's probably the top three things that we'll go through and then a few others, but I think parents first want to know that their baby is perfect and they want to work on a name for the baby and they want to know how to feed this baby, probably the top three things. Mm -hmm.
0: So as far as examining the baby, what does that process look like? I think every parent wants to know that their baby has the right number of fingers and toes.
1: Yeah, it's always, you know, ten fingers, ten toes. And, you know, kind of as an aside, I, I have a family where they consistently have had extra digits on hands and feet. And so we had a good enough relationship by the time they had their third child that when I first walked in the room, I could say, how many fingers and toes do they have? And they're like, 24. So, right. <laughs> and so, and, as expected. Uh, and so, yeah, as expected. And so, um, but I, I really, I, I do tell everybody that their child is beautiful and, and help them. And I, and I do joke with, those that I know pretty well, that um, I don't tell everyone their child is beautiful, just the ones whose kids are truly beautiful, because it wouldn't be fair, and it would not would be a disservice in my role as an advocate for the child to tell them, the parents that they were beautiful if they weren't. And, so, <laughs> um, and they, they need to be honest as an advocate for their child. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, we, we, we go through and, and really check them from head to toe, and they're always fairly bruised from the trauma of birth, uh, being born is such a hard experience. And if you think that giving birth is hard, you can only imagine how hard it is to be born. So these kids are pretty traumatized. And anytime your, your skull is, you know, is goes through that trauma that it gets misshapen, it's a it's a bad day. And so <laughs> these kids are pretty tough. But we go through from top to bottom and make sure that their their head looks good, checking their eyes and ears, making sure they're in the right place. Um, checking to make sure there are no cleft lips or palates that sometimes can be hard to see. Um, we check their collarbones, those get broken sometimes in the, the delivery trauma. Um, listen to their heart, making sure there are no murmurs. Listen to their lungs to make sure their, their lungs are nice and clear and strong. Listen to their abdominal sounds to make sure their intestines are moving. Um, we're checking their, their hips to make sure there's no hip dysplasia and they're good and solid. Um, making sure their boy and girl parts are normal and everything, so, um, and then just, checking their skin to make sure there's no rashes and just really checking them from head to toe. Um, and then lastly, checking their back to make sure there are no deep dimples that might indicate any spine abnormalities. And that's what, what would constitute uh, a normal newborn exam.
0: Are there any common exam findings that might concern parents after that initial walkthrough?
1: Sure. I think over the first 24 48 hours, there's about three things that maybe four that come up. I, I think the, the first is reflex and spitting up. These kids have never had to swallow anything but amniotic fluid before, and they start getting breast milk or formula, and, and, and so they start spitting up some. Um, oftentimes they have murmurs as the baby's heart adjusts from the type of function it has inside of mom to when the child comes outside, their heart has to pump differently, and so there's some murmurs that show up and then there are rashes that are very common for these kids. And then lastly would be some jaundice that's, that's pretty pretty common that shows up. And so we, we address each of those items and, and make sure kids are doing okay and there's, there's no concerns with those.
0: So let's move to the naming of the baby. Utah tends to have some pretty creative names and spelling for babies. So, what are your yes, thoughts on do. that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, again, this is this is kind of you know some a sensitive area, um, but in talking about naming babies, I I think when, when people name their babies, almost always I hear the phrase that they want to look at them before they decide on a name for them, and like I mentioned before, this birth trauma is is so harsh for these kids and they're bruised and, and, you know, the they, head's been you know stretched out and, and uh, it's probably not their best look they're going to have. And, and so then to use that moment as a time to decide what the name is, is going to be, you'd probably get a lot of Rockies or Brunos or those kind of <laughs> things. If you're, if you're going to have that, but, um, but I have to admit that we did that for each of our kids and wanted to see what they'd look like. And that was an important part of you know, seeing, you know, if they were that name. Um, mm-hmm. And I think another part is have to recognize that there's some really cute names out there that you don't want to give your kid just because they have to, to have that name their whole life. I just I kind of loosely say, hey, just make sure that when you put that, that name in your, your cell phone that the spell check doesn't change it to something else. And whatever it changes it to is probably what you ought to spell the name that way so that it's a, an easy spelling for them um because if they have to explain your name their entire life and you're taking years off that kid's life you know, having <laughs> to explain it to everybody and so it's uh yeah. <laughs> I
0: know. I often, I've had to spell my last name my entire life, and that will continue now with my my new last name. So you may as well make it name, easy. Yeah. You may as well make it easy and, and have the first name I be know. easy to
1: spell. <laughs> so true. You felt bad, Emily, having to go from Hoagland to Gottfriedson. That, that wasn't, just got wasn't an, an easy transition. <laughs> and so,
0: <laughs> totally. So let's talk a little bit about feeding the baby. How do people make the decision about breastfeeding or bottle feeding?
1: And that's another very personal decision. But fortunately in Utah, we have you know so many just you know, dedicated, committed, well-educated moms that understand the value and benefits of breastfeeding. And so it's really most likely that a mom will come in with a plan to do breastfeeding. But the problem I run into is that breastfeeding is definitely not easy. And there are a lot of barriers to that. Um, especially, especially with first-time babies, it may be 48 to 72 hours before there's any milk available for that child. And, and so where a mother may have a lot of her value as a mother tied up into how successful she is in being able to feed her baby, the, the barriers of how the child's eating, any anatomy issues with a child with a tongue tie, or how the kid's able to physically nurse, um, you know how much milk's being produced, And then any anatomy concerns for the mother makes it so that 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 breastfeeding may be difficult. I I really talk about there's. uh. My, my priorities for feeding them are number one, that the baby gets some food. Number two is that they can get breast milk if at all possible. And the number three is be able to actually breastfeed. And most babies can breastfeed, but the challenge is that that may not be possible. And so I try to really help condition moms to not have their value tied up into whether or not they can be successful at breastfeeding so that they can see that the importance of getting a baby fed but not discounting that if you can get breast milk in that baby for two hours, for two days, for two weeks, for two months, any interval is a positive and a blessing for that child. So I try to encourage but not make it so that the parent has their their value tied up in how how successful that is.
0: That makes complete sense. So for baby boys, how do people make the decision about circumcision?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, You know, I I think that, that that for boys, if they're planning on a boy, if they know it's a boy coming in, it, it seems almost like they're asking about the circumcision before the child's even breathing yet <laughs> and and saying, you know, when's the circumcision going to happen? And so let's get in breathing first and, and make sure they're doing great. And then we'll talk about that. But um, what, what, uh, what many people think is that circumcision is something that just is kind of cultural or that is something that uh, may have some benefits, or just kind of do what you know dad does, or whatever. And so, but what I try and tell people is that there's very definite benefits to circumcision. That in about 2012, the American Academy of Pediatrics went through and evaluated all of the the benefits of circumcision and looked at. At a big meta analysis of saying, what is the cost of doing a circumcision? You know, the actual dollar cost of doing a circumcision for, you know, 100,000 boys. And and what is the dollar cost if you don't do a circumcision for a same subset of 100,000 boys? What What is the, the cost of the complications in terms of, of bladder infections, kidney infections, penis cancer, later in life circumcisions, emergency circumcisions? And, and what they were able to demonstrate is it was a measurable benefit to doing a circumcision. And that being said, i I just like to be able to help parents to make the decision that they don't feel like they're just doing something willy-nilly and that they're inflicting some pain on their child for no reason because it's cultural, but there is actually a very solid benefit for doing circumcision. But at the same time, I would never push somebody into it or make them feel like they should do it. Um, I simply want them to feel like it's not just a a casual decision that there's no real value to it.
0: Yeah, completely. So what are other top things that you talk about before sending a baby and their parents out the door?
1: Okay. I think probably the, the top probably two things, would be jaundice and then their cord care. And what jaundice is, is the breakdown of red blood cells that happens after birth that their liver then has to process to remove the bilirubin chemical that would cause the child's skin to be really yellow. And there's nothing wrong with having some of that pigmentation there, but it it's too much of a good thing that causes problems that you can actually stain the brainstem and end up with some movement disorders if you have too high a level of jaundice. Um, And we think that the bilirubin molecule is helpful, that it helps as an antioxidant to help protect the child's brain when it's a a low oxygen state and you have a lot of oxidants that need to be be absorbed um, because of the time during delivery. So there's definitely a benefit. And so what I talked to them about is things they can do to help with, with jaundice when they go home. And the the things that are most helpful, I, I describe it as sunshine and supplementing. And so with sunshine, you're basically getting some natural phototherapy where the child gets some element of sunshine every day, even just being in a room that has a lot of ambient light. And for those that don't, I'll say maybe getting 10 minutes front and back with some direct light. I tell them some spot where the cat or dog would curl up in the warmth. And uh, that's a warm spot. Move the move the cat or dog. And <laughs> and then have them just in a diaper, on a blanket, in that nice warm spot. Not during the burning hour, so kind of before 10, after 5 or so, if it's uh, the summertime. And, and just get a little bit of sunshine every day to to help out. And and what that does is just help the body to be able to remove the bilirubin, not just through pooping it out, but by voiding by it out as well. It, it's interesting, the... The method behind that was a, a nursery in France where the nuns in the nursery recognized that the babies in the the, the window side of a nursery had a lot less jaundice than the babies in the non nursery side, mm. and, and so from that, that observation came the the thought that sunshine was helpful. And what was discovered was there's a certain wavelength wavelength of light at 450 nanometers that is the wavelength that converts the The molecule to one that, that babies can pee out the ner- the nuns didn 't know that they just knew that the windows were helpful and so and so that that sunshine is helpful and then the supplementing because the the route out of the baby 's body for the bilirubin is either poop it out or pee it out, and if you 're not pooping and peeing because you're not getting any food, then that bilirubin will actually recycle and go back into their body from their intestinal tract mm. and get higher and higher and higher. So you, you need to have the exit doors open, which is pooping and peeing. So that's where I'll add in some supplementing in addition to breastfeeding to make sure that the baby's getting something to eat. It's super important. So um, The second thing, M, is, is the cord care. And and this is always a mystery to people, this this, this, this strange umbilical cord that's dried up on their baby's tummy and um and and one thing that we we used to say is lots of alcohol and cleaning of that cord but but what studies have shown is that by using too much alcohol and keeping it too clean is that you delay cord separation so we discourage that and then recommend that they're fine to get these babies in the tub and do regular bathing that the dried up cord is simply a glamorous scab and they're fine to get in the tub no problems at all so um Yeah, so those are probably my my top two things that I would say when I send people home that I want to make sure they go home with and understand.
0: That's great. When do you typically follow up with parents after that initial visit?
1: That's another great question, and it really depends on a couple of things. I think one is parent experience. And the second is any concerns that I have as I send the baby home. So with first-time parents, I always do 48-hour follow-up because everything's new. They have so many questions, and they're just like, we're in charge of this baby, and we have no idea what we're doing. And so it's, it's mostly to help them to say, I'll say, write all your questions down, put them in your cell phone, bring them to the visit, and we'll go over all the questions you have. And that would make a, be a great time to be able to, um, to go through those questions. And then secondly, is if I have any concerns about jaundice or, or rashes or things like that, then I use that chance as an opportunity to be able to follow up and, and make sure they're doing really good.
0: Well, wonderful. That wraps up our hospital visit episode, and we will catch everyone later. So thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. Kid Doc is available on iTunes or wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.